Hello everyone. Thank you for joining me today on this new episode of Thinking Out Loud on Religion. Today I want to be talking to you about homophobia in the church. Uh, as you could have guessed by the episode's title, we're going to be looking at the church's stance on homosexuality and whether it stands in agreement with the Bible, the doctrine the church follows. As you know, the liberal movement has been going on for quite a while, and as a result of the movement, thankfully, we are moving towards a society that is more inclusive of the outliers on the normal curve of the human population. So as a result of this inclusivity, I believe we are advanced enough to have conversations like the one we're about to have. We're going to be talking about why the church is so adamant that societal norms don't change, that gender roles remain the same. They have been for over millennia, and uh, we are going to be looking at where the notion that homosexuality is the ultimate sin in Christianity comes from and whether it is true or not. We are going to be figuring out what cultural influences have made their way or whether they have made their way into the church uh, and whether this could be the root of the problem. Because we know preachers are human and as humans they have their biases from their personal experiences and they have been taught and they have been nurtured a certain way. And the way a person has been brought up dictates what their beliefs and child adulthood are going to be. So investigating cultural influences is, could be a fruitful endeavor for us. We'll find out. Maybe that could be a factor of homophobia in the church. Maybe not. So there's quite a few things that we'll be talking about today, so I apologize in advance for what I think is going to be a long episode. This is my first podcast, so I don't have a frame of reference what a long or short uh, podcast regarding this topic is, so please bear with me if it ends up going a little longer than you like. An announcement I want to make before we get started is that uh, if there is any mistakes regarding the flow of information or something isn't clear enough and I haven't elaborated on it as much, maybe I glossed over it, maybe I spoke too quickly, please let me know. I would like to correct it for future episodes. You can tweet at me. Uh, my uh, Twitter link is in the bio. Or you can message me directly on Anchor, whichever is easier for you, because I would actually like to have a Discord with my listener. Before getting started, I think we need to define what homophobia is. So I went on the internet and looked it up. The term homophobia, defined by Britannica, as a, is defined as a culturally produced fear of or prejudices against homosexuals that sometimes manifests itself in legal restrictions or in extreme cases, bullying or even violence against homosexual people, sometimes called gay bashing. The term homophobia was coined in the late 1960s and was used prominently by George Weinberg, a renowned American clinical psychologist in his book called Society and the Healthy Homosexual, published in 1972. Although the suffix phobia generally designates an irrational fear of something, in this case the word itself uh, refers to an additional disposition ranging from mild dislike to abhorrence and disgust of people who are sexually and romantically attracted to individuals of the same sex. So homophobia is a culturally conditioned response. Let me backtrack a little bit. Underline the word homophobia is a culturally conditioned response. Well, not a word, but a sentence. Homophobia is a culturally conditioned response to homosexuality and attitudes towards homosexuals can vary widely across cultures and over time. 
now that we've gone over what homophobia is and seen that our original hypothesis that culture and nurture are what affect one's viewpoint on homosexuality, I need to define two other things before we go deeper. The first term we should go over, because I'm going to be using it a lot, is church. So when I talk about the church, quote-unquote, for this conversation, I mean the congregation of people, the believers, the believers of Christ. I'm not referring to a building or an organization, but the people and what the community collectively believes. The second term we should go over is sin. So it's a basic definition. A sin is anything that you do against the will of God and against the divine law written in the Bible. It can be anything from innocuous things like lying to deviant things like murder. It's very simple and basic, but I just needed to go over those things so you would have an easier time keeping up with the conversation. So getting started, I want to say that there was a misconception going on and still is going on to this day. And I have thought about this for for a while from a personal perspective and from a community perspective. Before I did some research into this doctrine of the Bible and before I read the Bible, I believed whatever the preachers, my parents, and everybody around me was saying regarding Christianity. Because quite frankly, I was young and had not developed a reading level complex enough to read the Bible or a thinking level complex enough to understand what the meaning of the text was. Because I lived in a community and grew up in a Christian community, I would believe, and I did believe, and to a certain extent, that that's okay, that's excusable. But I did believe what people around me were saying, and I I took it at face value because I assumed they knew what they were talking about. I had no other frame of reference. I I didn't know how to research for myself because I was fairly young. So, of course, I found out later that most of these people hadn't even actually read the Bible, but were repeating what the preachers were actually telling them, which was uh, information infected with cultural biases. So the idea I got from absorbing the community's viewpoints was that there is a hierarchy to sin. You might have been in the same position as I was because uh, growing up, you absorb whatever the community and the people around you are given to you. So, yeah, you might have been in the same position as I was growing up because the whole concept of nurture is based on cultural influences and biases. So, if this was an idea that you were able to escape from, kudos to you. You're one step closer to being a Christian, true Christian. But that's the, I got, uh, that's the idea I got from my surroundings and the people's teachings, uh, which was that there is a hierarchy. You know, I, I really believe that some sins are worse than some other sins. I now know that to be false, but I didn't know. And if you didn't know, let me debunk that myth for you. The only time a hierarchy is remotely even touched upon in the Bible is when Jesus tells the people he's talking to that sins against the Holy Spirit are unforgivable. That's the only time. Other than that, nowhere in the Bible is there a hierarchy to sin. And that one instance I just mentioned, the sins against the Holy Spirit, basically means that cursing God out and saying bad things about the Father is the only unforgivable sin. Other than that, all sins are forgivable, therefore, all sins are equal. Because there is no hierarchy, there is an extra punishment for one or the other. Because they're all equal, you don't have to repent harder after committing one or the other. They all carry the same weight. So in short, 
all sins other than the sins committed against the Holy Spirit are forgivable. And not only are they forgivable, but they are in the Lord's eyes carrying the same weight of disobedience and are of the same severity. This could be problematic, saying lying is just as bad in the Lord's eyes as murder. You might think I'm an idiot, but you only think that murder is the worst sin of all or is worse than lying because society has influenced you into thinking that. Not saying that that influence is good or bad, but it has influenced you into thinking that. We have data on differences of opinions on not only murder, but other laws which show that the perception of murder and other laws is subjective across cultures. And if the human law didn't forbid murder, the view on murder would be much different than what it is today in America. So, so elaborating on what I said, uh, that sub, uh, perception of laws is subjective across cultures, just look at hunting. For example, in, in America, uh, humans care about animals much more than in developing countries. Therefore, the laws are different, or even if they were the same, the perception of these laws would be different. Actually, a better example would be um, pets. So, for example, uh, here in the Western societies, we love dogs, uh, and we care for them a lot. Animal cruelty laws exist in America and developing countries, but only one country adheres to those laws. Right in America, uh, if you see somebody being mean to a dog, uh, you're gonna report it to the police and the police is gonna come and arrest the person who was attacking the dog. But if you go to, let's say, India, right, and uh, you see your neighbor uh, hitting and kicking a street dog, a stray dog, uh, you're not as likely to report that to the police and even if you did the police are not as likely to take you take the complaint as seriously as they would in america so that that kind of shows you that the perception of laws is subjective across cultures and uh, we as cultures take some things more seriously than other things and it's that is why this hierarchy of sin has been given birth to so getting back on track, yes, all sins are equal in the Lord's eyes, and they're all equally as terrible in the Lord's eyes. So you should try your hardest not to commit any sin at all. So for example, under this system, homosexuality is equal to sins such as premarital sex, adultery, and any other sin. But when we examine the lives of the homophobes around the world, we who justify their homophobia using biblical verses, we see that they are guilty of committing other sins themselves which carry the equal weight but protest another sin which in their eyes carries more weight right it they're protesting something that in their eyes carries more weight not according to what the bible says but what's right in their own eyes what's right in their own perception i know every single of these homophobes has engaged in committing sins at one point or another. And this 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 uh, hierarchical system is linked to culture, as, as the definition suggests, and as, as now we've explored more. Uh, it, it does lend itself to us believing 
that it is linked to culture. Many of you listeners yourselves are engaged in in lust. I know every single human has at one point or another had lustful thoughts, especially during teenage years. So you you yourselves, uh, I hope you guys aren't going out and protesting against homosexuality, but if you are, just look into it. You yourself have been sinning for a while, so what's better to to tell what the people that they're sending or to fix yourself. Sins aren't just stealing and killing and sex. You know, it can be something as innocuous as eating pig. Many of you eat bacon every day and have been since childhood. Shrimp, a very integral part of seafood for Americans, eating shrimp is a sin as well. You know, where where's the uproar on these seemingly uh, innocuous sins, which are equally as bad in the Lord's eyes as some of the sins people justify their nurtured biases with. There are about 600 and some changed laws in the Old and New Testament combined, and I can say with 100% certainty that no one in this entire world, including myself, abides by the entire codex of laws that the Bible provides. So I have been using the word homophobes for a while, so let me just go over what it means. So homophobes, I just want to mention one thing. When I say homophobes, I'm not using it in a derogatory way. I'm using it as just a concise way to refer to people who are against homosexuality. So homophobes protest and vilify and denigrate a group of people who are homosexuals. So that's what homophobes are. They're they're against uh, homosexuality. You know, uh, we define homophobia. So Homophobes are basically the proponents of homophobia. So, yeah, homophobes protest and vilify and denigrate this group of people. And let me tell you something about them. In doing so, these guys are committing yet another sin themselves, the sin of hypocrisy. And not only that, they're likening themselves to God, which is the ultimate sin of blasphemy. So you might be confused about what I just said regarding the ultimate sin of blasphemy and likening themselves to God. Uh, So let me elaborate on that. The only sinless human we have ever had in human history was Jesus Christ, who was quite literally the avatar of God, God in human form. Even if you don't believe in the biblical Jesus, the historical Jesus is thought to have been one of the purest humans alive at his time because of the works he did. So we know humans can't be sinless, and if they are sinless, they are the avatar of God and not... And the only way you can judge someone is by being sinless yourself. So when you're judging people and condemning condemning them to hell by using phrases such as God hates fags and fags are going to hell, you are likening yourself to God by pretending to be sinless. Still don't get it? Think of it this way. A judge sits in court to judge criminals. If he has been convicted of a crime themselves... I'm not using pronouns, themselves is inclusive, Uh, or is facing trials for their own crimes, they are not fit to judge. Because of that, because they are facing criminal charges, then they're not a judge, but a suspected criminal. A criminal can't be a judge. And with the same logic, a sinner can't judge another sinner and pass the sentence. Because if you are passing the sentence, you're implying that you're sinless, and the only person in human history who has been sinless is Jesus Christ, who is quite literally God. 
So by that logic, you are comparing yourself to God. But you could say to me that, no, we're not condemning them. We're, we're trying to let them know that they're, 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 their actions are wrong. And that is a common argument that I hear, uh, that when you're protesting, you're letting the people know of their sinful ways and are trying to help them avoid hell. Now, that would be a very convincing argument in your favor, and uh, it would help your case a lot if those were your actual intentions, right? But looking at it from a psychological perspective, when you wish to help someone, you invite them and not condemn them. Your wording has to be different. If, if your intentions are true, your wording has to be different. So the next time people around you use this argument, analyze their words. Are they inviting or condemning? Are they angry or are they genuinely trying to help all? And if they are genuinely trying to help them, then, then it is excusable. But don't badger, don't, you know, because in this day and age, with, with the internet, almost the entire civilized world uh, knows the doctrine of all major religions. So it's not up to you to get the message across. But still, if your intentions are good, just be careful. But if, if they're angry or the people around you are angry, they're being homophobic and you should stand up and say something. So now we know a lot of the arguments that, that homophobes use to protest and uh, to stand up against uh, homosexuals. And they try to say that we're trying to help them, but in reality we know their intentions aren't to help, but to condemn and to, to perpetrate and... Uh, uh, vilify using their own, uh, well, to satisfy their own beliefs that are rooted in culture and not religion. So, for, before going forward, we need to define what sin actually is, because I've been talking about it for a lot. Uh, and we, we defined the definition, like we, we talked about the definition of it, uh, but we need to uh, talk about what it actually means, like uh, what it carries. So sin carries the potential punishment of hell. The, underline that word, potential. Potential punishment of hell. And you know, anything that is worth to be uh, worth being taken seriously needs to carry somewhat of a uh, consequence for you not following it or ignoring it uh, or forgetting it. So if, if, if you wanted uh, someone to take you seriously, you would, you would say, do this or there's gonna be a consequence. And that, that's, that's basically what sin is. It carries a, the potential, like it carries a consequence. And any sin carries the potential punishment of hell. Any sin. It can be any sin out of uh, the 600 and some change uh, laws. All of them carry this potential punishment of hell. But actually, let's, let's break this down. Who has actually lived a sinless life? Have you? Have I? Has the Pope, the leader of the Catholic Church, considered to be one of the holiest men on the planet, has he? No, no one does. And with your logic, or with the homophobes' logic, all of humanity would be doomed to hell for committing sins. Repenting is important, right? Repenting, yes. But there is no way we can, we can repent for all the sins we commit. We're imperfect humans. We physically, emotionally, and mentally cannot live a sinless life. And, and the amount of sins we commit, we, we can't 
repent for all of the sins. So there, there is some room for error. So we need to leave the judging to God. So since we cannot live a sinless life, we aren't fit to judge others. So therefore, we should let this be between God and the sinner, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't try to intervene and try to do God's job. We need to look at ourselves, not other people. We don't need to interfere. Don't act on your biases and use the Lord's name to commit acts of hatred. That is the last thing your peace-loving God would want. So now that you know that, you know, it's a cultural thing and that you, you shouldn't act on your biases when it's asking you to commit acts of hatred, uh, now we need to know where does homophobia come from. Right? Now we know that the Bible doesn't actually say anything about committing these acts of hatred. Uh, so what can we attribute the homophobia in the church and the Christian community to? Right? Research suggests that they have been affected by societal norms and have been following a hierarchy of sins to validate their biases, be it good or bad. And the reason I say good or bad is an interesting one. The reason I say good or bad is because the social influence in church isn't limited to homosexuality. There's other sins. We, we find other examples of, of social influence uh, affecting the hierarchy of sins in, in Christianity. We see the influence on menial things, such as the consumption of pigs. In countries like Pakistan, where the social norm is to hate pigs and to find them disgusting, and to find them unclean, uh, and to find them an abomination on the face of the planet, eating bacon is seen as one of the ultimate sins. Much worse than lying and stealing. People will think twice about eating pork than stealing money or disrespecting their parents. So they, they are following a hierarchy to justify their biases as well. And this hierarchy system is not found just in Christianity, but most religions follow that. The original messages from these religions, you know, because they were developed so long ago, the original messages have been corrupted by iterated interpretations that build upon cultural norms and on each other, right? They, they feed off of each other and worm these cultural influences worm their way into what the people actually believe. So now we need to discuss why societal influences have made their way into the church, right? Why is there people following a hierarchy of sins? Is there something that we can do to change it? Was there something that we could do to change that? Like, was there something that we could do to change that? There's a lot of questions that pop up, but all those questions don't have answers yet because a lot of clinical psychologists and cultural sociologists have been trying to answer the question of where homophobia comes from, but haven't been able to pinpoint it. Right? Because it's such a complicated uh, issue and uh, we, we just don't have the tools available we don't have the research available we don't have the texts available that that could help us pinpoint that i've been looking into it for a while as well and i have yet to see a convincing enough argument in theory that should suggests a solid and absolute reason for why the church has been a victim of societal influences and why that the church has been you can say uh infiltrated by proponents of homophobia and this isn't something recent. The church has been influenced greatly over the course of history by people who propose following the cultural norms more than following the Bible itself. 
So we need to figure out why that is the case. It seems that the infiltration of cultural proponents of religion, in religion, sorry, especially Christianity, started in the Middle Ages. You know, there there is research we have been able to find and dig up texts that suggest that the time when Christian and Islamic teachings that bolstered a cultural view rather than religious view started po- popping up around the Middle Ages, right? When, when uh, these, these religions were starting to pick up pace. So, well, if multiple sins were being used as red herrings, uh, why haven't other straw man arguments survived, right? Right? Why is it that homosexuality is the only one that survived if, if Christianity actually caused it, caused the homophobia? Um, because when I was reading, people, people think that Christian and Muslim doctrines were the ones that could have perpetrated homophobia. But another thing popped into my mind. Why hasn't the doctrine perpetrated phobias, right? other phobias, other norms of the culture? Right? Why is it that homosexuality was, was, was the only thing? When that question popped into my mind, I took a minute, I stepped back a little bit. I tried to think, I tried to find examples of other societal norms that, that were affected by Christianity or that could have been affected or that could, that could prove that Christianity was the reason for this homophobia, uh, right? The doctrine itself was the, was the reason for the homophobia. And I, and I thought of premarital sex, right? That, that's one thing that we all know that we're not supposed to do, but yet, most of the Western civilization uh, doesn't, you know, adhere to the to the to the law. So this 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 was a big one in recent history. It was frowned upon terribly by the Christian community and was not very common up until 1920. So it's fairly recent. So that is something that could be attributed to the church teaching people that premarital sex was bad and that they should not be engaging in it. Right? It seems plausible on the surface. Yes. It does seem to be the case. But when you look at it from a historical perspective, you find that after the 1920s, premarital sex became prevalent and normalized. Why is that the case? Did the church suddenly stop preaching about premarital sex? No, not really, because they still do to this day. So the 1920s was when people could partake or started partaking in uh, premarital sex normally. Like, it was very common. So why was that the case? Well, when you look at it from the historical perspective, that was right around the time safe sex became uh, affordable, right? Because the latex condom and automation made safe sex affordable and common. Now people could have sex without the fear of a 100% chance of pregnancy and the fear of STDs. It's not that they weren't having sex before the 1920s because the church was telling them not to, it was because that they were scared of the babies and diseases. They weren't scared of the sin. They were scared of the consequences, the human consequences of what, what it would do. So when that fear was dissolved, right, when they, when they were able to engage in the activity without fearing about the consequences as much, the sexual liberation happened. The history of this is very important, and you should check it out to find out about it more in detail. But... What this example shows is that people do what they want to do and not what the church tells them to do, right? They did what they wanted to do when they could do it. The church had been educating them for a while, but they didn't stop. 
when they were allowed to do it. The church has very little control over what the people do and cannot affect society to cause a norm. The church follows the norms, it doesn't create the norms. Cultural development, although isn't independent of religion, it's not 100% dependent on religion either. Other factors such as gender roles play, play a big role in, in homophobia. Now you can see that the norm that was created in the 20s has been iterated so many times and has been strengthened to the point that in today's Western civilization, premarital sex is actually promoted and marriage is demoted um, because 75% of marriages fail, right? It's promoted even though the church is telling people not to do it. So that should show you that the church actually doesn't have any, any, you can say, control over what the people are doing. So now you might be wondering, why am I talking about gender roles? So we know that the Bible wasn't successfully able to influence people to stop having premarital sex. You see, the second people were able to have premarital sex safely, they, the second they were able to have it without severe or immediate consequences, they did. They didn't wait, they didn't stop to think that it was a sin. That suggests to me that it is not a fact that the Bible has 100% influence over why society is homophobic. So that has to stem from something else, right? Because if thing A isn't causing it, what is? So now we need to find out what else was caused that could be a factor in it. And the only place it could possibly stem from is gender roles, which were very, very, very well defined in the Middle Ages, which is right around the time when, when we see these Christian interpretations promoting homophobia pop up, these texts uh, that interpret, interpret the Bible in a certain way, uh, so to so to validate their own biases. So gender roles influence the preachers who in turn use the Bible to justify their thoughts, because they they weren't themselves aware of where these thoughts were coming from. Gender roles and homophobia are linked together, and most psychologists and sociologists agree on that. And this is a very interesting topic, and we will have to talk about that in detail at another time because there's so much to unpack here. But yeah, that was that was why the church has been linked to homophobia. It has been the victim of biases that are rooted in culture and gender roles. Other examples to support the argument that homophobia is actually a very cultural issue and not a religious issue is that we have seen homophobia in societies that aren't Christians or founded upon Abrahamic religions. Just look at China, you'll find plethora of evidence of homosexuality and homophobia against homosexuals. China is a very much non-religious country now, and even in its history, we have Taoism and Taoism, which are polar opposites of Christianity. So, so that should show you that, even if it doesn't show you, it is convincing enough for me and comforting enough that something I believe in wasn't in fact the perpetrator of hate, but was actually in fact a victim of distortion by culture. Right, so, so now that we know that the church is actually a victim and not the proponent, what stance should the church and you as a Christian have on homosexuality? Now that you know that homosexuality is just like any other sin and doesn't carry an extra penalty and you don't have to go to a hotter hell and you don't have to repent harder, homophobia should start to look like a terrible thing to you as well just like it does to me. Because now you know that you aren't obligated to stand up against this one particular sin 
and you're supposed to ignore all other sins. Now you know that the world has been morphed, and as a result, your thinking has been morphed to be a certain way. And what the Bible actually teaches is entirely different. It is up to you to decide whether you wish to continue following the culture and to be a Christian just for the name, or if you want to follow what the Bible actually says and be an actual Christ-loving Christian. Now you know that what, what information you're being fed by, by the preachers in your churches or your family or the people around you or your friends um, could, in fact, be uh, infected by, by unforeseen or uh, unapparent biases. And you need to be careful. So wrapping it up, I just want to give a quick summary of what, all that we talked about. So, yes, it is ungodly to com condemn another person because you yourself aren't qualified to be a judge. You're guilty of a plethora of sins yourself, and you can't call another human being a sinner unless you're sinless. So if you see a preacher or a church or a so-called so quote-unquote Christian partaking in homophobia, tell them what I just told you. It is our collective job to make sure that the church adheres to the rules of Jesus Christ, which is to spread love and peace. We must make sure that culture doesn't corrode the doctrine. It is our duty to police the preachers who represent the church. We must police them. We must correct them. And we cannot, I repeat, we cannot go against the rules of Jesus Christ, lest we not be a Christian. Because if you're a true believer, you will do what Jesus Christ tells you to do, and not what your preacher tells you to do, who has been infected by the world. You're instilling a false doctrine into your communities and into your minds, and you must reject them, not only for your justice and for the justice of the world, but for Christ, whose character is being destroyed by these people, whose message is being misrepresented. I had been thinking about it and researching this topic for a while, so it feels good to be able to share it with people who might, you know, agree or disagree or don't care, but at least listened, because discord is what leads to wisdom. You know, ultimate wisdom only comes when you test your opinions and viewpoints. Thank you for listening, and I, as I mentioned, this is my first podcast, so if there is some mistakes, please bear with me. I'll get better as I gain more experience. So subscribe for more content uh, just like this. I'm going to be starting more more podcasts which talk about other things, not just religion, like economics and business and tech and history. Uh, so subscribe for more content and join me on this journey of enlightenment. Uh, and if you have any topics that you would like me to talk about, think about or research or share with the world, uh, please message me on Anchor. Uh, I'd love to, love to be able to help. And if you have any thoughts or concerns or counterpoints on this argument that I just presented, please let me know so I can address them or stress test my own viewpoints. Thank you for listening again and have a great rest of your day.